From meeting and working with three presidents as mayor, to cliffhangers about floods, famous people, near disasters, and encounters with a ton of interesting characters, this is Tales from the Gym City with former mayor Chuck Schultz. Join us for this reoccurring bonus segment. I'm History of Go-Go's host, Rob Mellon. Beautiful Sal was a stone-hearted gal, refusing to build or to coo. But Clem was right smart, he appealed to her heart with that gal getting good old Mountain Dew. Yahoo! Mountain Dew! Mountain Dew will tickle your innards cause there's a bang in every bottle. At the county turkey shoot, cause Luke warn't worth a hoot. He was hopeless till he finally took the cue. Yahoo! Mountain Dew! Now he shoots off the cup, gets more'n enough after nipping at that good old Mountain Dew. Sure as shooting, there's a bang in every bottle of our delicious soft drink, Mountain Dew. It'll tickle your innards. Welcome back, Chuck, for more Tales from the Gym City. Now, there are all these unexpected connections to Quincy, and today we have a a connection with a very popular caffeine-filled soda, Mountain Dew. Now, I have had this addiction to Mountain Dew throughout most of my life, and the best I've been able to do to, to shake that was to move to diet. That's about the best I can do. Now I thought Mountain Yeah. I thought Mountain Dew started in Tennessee. What's the local connection? Well, it did start in Tennessee, but it started with a couple of guys from Quincy. Born and raised, always consider themselves native. But actually, you know how I like to start at the beginning when I'm telling a tale or spinning a yarn, Rob. I start here with John Wood, our city's founder. We're gonna talk about Mountain Dew and tie it all the way back to John Wood. Absolutely. Absolutely. And here's how, and you know, a lot of towns could claim a founder, but not like John Wood, who really was building up our city and constantly promoting. And it was John Wood who advertised in Germany for uh, citizens that could, you know, uh, had that German work ethic and all those German skills uh, that really built this community. So, Back in 1848, in North Rhine-Westphalia, up there in the northwest part of Germany, uh, in Christ Hereford, the county of Hereford, where thousands of Quincyans trace their ancestral roots, because, you know, once immigrants started coming, and they knew there were others there, and there were German crafts, and they spoke German and so forth, uh, we really had quite, quite a pipeline. But in 1848, in Christ Hereford, in the Stadt of Spenga, which is a little smaller governmental unit, and in the little village of uh, Ballenbrook, Hermann Heinrich Schrader. He was my great, 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 great grandfather, and uh, he was involved in the tumult of Spenga, which uh, a lot of labor unrest. These people were practically serfs, Rob, and uh, they worked uh, growing flax for the linen industry, and there would be uh, the big house and the landowner and all these little, what they called cottons, which were cottages. And so it was like indentured servitude. And, uh, when things started to, there was, you know, throughout Europe and in that era, there were quite a bit of uh, revolt, uh, which Grandpa Schrader got mixed up and got arrested. 
And the long and the short of it was he took off for America, had to sign a document, which I've seen uh, in Hereford, uh, where he could never return. So he and his wife and seven kids get on a boat in Bremen and, uh, you know, not knowing where they would go. All of our ancestors were so courageous. I mean, think about that. They couldn't speak the language. They didn't have a job. They didn't know a soul. And then they're embarking on this perilous journey across the Atlantic. But they made it to New Orleans. And uh, Grandpa Schrader farmed out his uh, daughters, he had five daughters, to uh, work as domestics over the winter and then collected them up. And they got on the boat, came up the river to see the Germans in Quincy and meet John Wood. And John Wood sold them a plot of land at Ninth and State Street, uh, where the old labor temple was there on the uh, southeast corner of Ninth and State. And uh, of course, right across the street is Salem Church. He was a founder of Salem Church. These folks were all Lutherans, Rob, from up in that part of Germany. You know, the, the Catholics had all been sent away. Uh, Munster's not too far from there. And that's where uh, well, a lot of the school sisters in Notre Dame that came to Quincy and the Franciscans uh, were pretty much driven out of northern Germany uh, in the 19th century there. So, uh Grandpa Schrader has a daughter that marries a man named Adam Abel, who had a winery, had some vineyards up by Warsaw, had a winery at the corner of 7th and Jersey. He, his daughter marries Jacob Schultz, a Catholic from Austria, which was a big deal and involved Jacob going back across to Europe to get approval. But that's a big deal. And so their son, they have to agree to raise Catholic, and when he stays with his German Lutheran grandmother Abel at Seventh in Jersey, she wants to make sure he goes up the street to St. Boniface, which is right where it is now, Seventh in Maine, just a block away. But instead, he disobeys his grandmother, goes across the street south on Jersey to St. Joseph's, the little mission church of St. Boniface that was established for African American citizens in Quincy and was pastored by Father Tolton. So I worked Father Tolton in here anyway, Rob. We're going to talk about Father Tolton's story at another day. But he was so charismatic. And uh, my great-grandfather was one of those Quincians uh, that patronized Father Tolton and incurred the uh, jealousy of the pastor, St. Boniface, and resulted in him going to Chicago. So in any event, uh, Adam, who knew Father Tolton, who I knew, had three kids, Richard F. Schultz Sr., my grandfather, who we could do a podcast on also because he was practicing law back in the wild and woolly days of Quincy. He was shot in front of the Adams County Courthouse back in 1961. Uh, I just saw the newspaper clipping the other day. With He stayed on his feet uh, and never lost consciousness. It's quite a story. That reminds me of the story of Theodore Roosevelt getting shot. Yes, and gives the speech. Yes, uh, those guys were tough. So he had a younger brother, Colonel Nick Schultz, who was a World War II hero, was shot down over enemy lines in Germany and went on to have a great career in the Air Force. And he had a sister, Pauline, Polly, our Aunt Polly. And Polly married Ollie Hartman, inventor of Mountain Dew. Now, Ollie Hartman, native Quintian, lived at night in Hampshire. And as you know, Rob, Ninth and Hampshire was the site of the Farmer's Home Hotel, 
where on October 13th of 1858, after three hours of strenuous debate in Washington Park, Abraham Lincoln, after I believe having a beer at uh, saloon number nine, which was not considered drinking in those days, uh, he made his way down to the Farmer's Home Hotel. He was scheduled to go back up Hampshire Street to 7th to the Browning Mansion and receive guests that evening with Eliza. Orville was trying a case in Carthage and was not there. But he's near exhaustion, and this has been grueling for him. You know, Douglas is traveling in the private rail car, and uh, Lincoln's you know, bouncing along in a buggy or whatever. And uh, he's, he's almost at the point of... Uh, collapse from his exhaustion and the proprietor george floyd says i know exactly what you need you need a rum sweat now this is a story here's lincoln every day of the man's life has been documented but our local historians iris nelson dave costigan and our great team they uncovered this rum sweat which is quite a story because uh, they direct him to remove his clothing he said he was nearly unadorned uh, they, uh, so I guess he kept his underwear on, but they took a big wool blanket and put it over him like a tent and they bring out a bowl of rum and he's cautions him. I do not take spirits. And Mrs. Floyd says, you're not going to drink this. They put it, uh, they had sit him down in a cane bottom chair with the, the bottom cut out and they light this bowl of rum and he's tented under there and he inhales the vapors and was rejuvenated goes back up and greets a guest at the Brownie Mansion and the next morning gets on the boat with Douglas as they rode together down to Alton for the seventh and final uh, debate. So that's the Farmer's Home Hotel. Now, there's a great code of this. First of all, Floyd then in, I think it was 63, this was 58, visits Washington. And as you know, Rob, in those days, the president, for at least a couple hours every day, sometimes longer, had to receive visitors. They just had to stand there, and all these people lined up at the White House, and most of them wanted a job or whatever. Yeah, it was just bedlam, bedlam inside. Yeah, you know, you, you had a son in the military or in prison or whatever. So anyway, Floyd is in Washington. He gets in line, but he doesn't get in to see Lincoln. Comes back the next day, and it doesn't look like he's going to get in. And he passes a note to one of the uh, soldiers and says, you know, I'm from Illinois. I know him. I, I know him from back home. So he takes the note in and Lincoln says, Floyd, my friend from Quincy, he saved me, invites him in. Floyd has dinner with the Lincolns at the White House. Now, no one knows this until I think it was about 1902. He tells this story in McClure's magazine, which is, you know, Rob's leading periodical of the day kind of had the reputation for the muckraking, but that's where we get the documentation of this story. So if you go down to Ninth uh, State, we have a wonderful wayside exhibit that explains the whole thing as a rendering of the Farmer's Home Hotel. That was donated by Ron Vecchi and Refreshment Services because they know that Ollie Hartman, the inventor of Mountain Dew, also lived at the Farmer's Home Hotel. Floyd sold it to Ollie's father, Bernard Hartman, and the boys grew up there, Ollie and his, his brother, Barney. And I uh, would not be surprised, Rob, that back in those days, and I've heard stories, you know, they would run the buckets of beer around and there was sort of an open courtyard or something as part of the hotel complex. But I think 
during prohibition, a fella could probably get a beer there and maybe something stronger. Uh, I've always gotten that impression. Now that didn't that didn't happen in Quincy. We didn't. Have- <laughs> <laughs> Quincy was really wide open, and of course, even after prohibition, uh, uh, of course, no more uh, bootleggers. But there were still plenty of organized criminals in Quincy, and someday we'll have to have a podcast about uh, Leo Moncton, Blackie Moncton, who lived in the mansion there that's still there, Thirteenth and Locust, and uh, the Collier's Magazine expose where. Uh, sort of blew the lid off of Quincy as uh, Baghdad on the Mississippi, they used to call it. But, uh, you know, the mayor ended up going to jail and so did the sheriff. Uh, everybody was on the take for gambling and prostitution. Quite a deal. But in any event, to get back to the Farmer's Home Hotel, prohibition ends. And now Ollie and his brother Barney are young men. They've been kind of helping run the Farmer's Home Hotel. They take off on their own for Knoxville, Tennessee, and they get involved in the soda business, which was not uncommon for former bootleggers. Yeah, that's right. So uh, they get they have a little uh, distributing company and bottling company in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, and Rob, as, as you might even remember, young as you are, there were a lot of local brands of soda. Uh, here in Quincy, we had Flynn Bottling, and they had their own brand of, you know, they did, they bottled Coke when I was a kid, but they also had their own white soda and those kind of brands. And, uh, I think, you know, it's pretty much dominated now by, by the bigger ones. But in those days there were these local brands and at the Hartman bottling company there in Knoxville, Tennessee, Ollie and his brother Barney came up with a little, it was in a green bottle. It was only a seven ounce bottle. But it looks substantially like what you would remember as an early Mountain Dew bottle. It had the two hillbillies, one chasing the other across the bottle, and it's captioned Ollie and Barney's Mountain Dew. I got that barefoot feeling on the count of Mountain Dew. One little taste made me kick off both of my shoes. It's a happy feeling too. Here's a taste that'll just knock your socks off. Mountain Dew gives you that happy, summertime, barefoot feeling all year round. Get the barefoot feeling, drink a little bit of Mountain Dew. Get the barefoot feeling, drinking Mountain Dew. You know, I've seen old bottles. I've seen old bottles exactly with that name. I never made that connection. That was the original Mountain Dew. It was actually marketed as a mixer. Yeah, I knew that too. Buy that and use that, and it was not. It it, it was much more of like a white soda, or a you know kind of a lemon lime type of soda that people would mix with, um, you know, gin or vodka or something like that. Uh, So that's how they started off. But they were marketing that old bootlegger hillbilly. Yep, the hillbilly, the rum run bootlegger. And the revenueers chasing them, the whole thing. That was the deal because, you know, you're not in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
So they they had quite a bit of success with it, and then some other guys wanted to get in on it. And the bottom line was not that Uncle Ollie, uh, you know, uh, became uh, exceedingly rich, but he did fine. He ended up with the Pepsi distributorship for Eastern Tennessee, which was a very good thing. And he was a wonderful person, Rob. My memories of my Uncle Ollie. And see, back then, we had Mountain Dew, and you know, growing up as a kid, but it was not the the biggest brand like it is now. But Uncle Ollie was everybody's, certainly my favorite uncle, because they lived in Knoxville, but they always came to Quincy. Uh, both my Aunt Polly, my grandfather's sister, and Ollie being from, they always considered themselves Quincy, and they came for Christmas, they came for any kind of family occasions and Thanksgiving and so forth. So when I would see Uncle Ollie at these family gatherings, he always had a cigar in one hand, a drink in the other. And he was the uncle that would pull that silver dollar out of your ear and then let you keep it. He taught me some magic tricks, uh, one of which is absolutely the best magic trick I know how to do. And I have uh, enjoyed uh, dazzling my granddaughters with some of those magic tricks and passing those on through the generations. But he and my Aunt Polly both loved Quincy wonderful people and never made a big deal about the uh uh mountain dew connection and then did he see it at all grow and develop or was it still just in its infancy and kind of local or regional it it was uh, it was national but not huge give me a mountain and nothing to do give me the sunshine give me your do I'm thinking around uh, the late sixties he uh, he died he died in a uh, crash with a train mm. got hit with a train. <laughs> Uh, but his son, Bernard, kept the business and Bernard also always came to Quincy for everything. And he's just recently passed away and he was really close with all the Schultzes and Quincy and, uh, quite a guy used to, used to fly. So he'd fly up here and he'd take me for rides in his plane and so forth. But yeah, they never made a big deal out of the Mountain Dew thing. And I can remember, uh, as a grade schooler, uh, no one would believe you that your uncle invented Mountain Dew, you know. Uh, and it is amazing if you trace things that were uh, originated in Quincy and how significant they became. That this one would be right up there at the top of the list. That the inventor of Mountain Dew, both of them, Ollie and Barney, were born and raised in Quincy. Do you know when they they went away from that original design and um, the the hillbillies? I think that's when Pepsi got it. Okay. Now, Pepsi may have still had the hillbillies on there for a while during the 60s as they moved that bottle up to, I think maybe it was a 10-ounce and then eventually a 12-ounce. I always, I, I never remember it in a can as a kid. I always remember it in a bottle. And as you can recall, those old uh, vending machines had the little, well, there were a couple different styles. But there was one that was uh, vertical with a, with a door he opened and had to get it out of the slot, you know, uh, that was some good ice cold soda in those days, either Mountain Dew or Frosty Root Beer. Cool is a state of mind. A refreshing attitude. Things 
you know, it's a, it's a little different now. I don't know how many kids ever uh, actually get a bottle of soda out of a vending machine nowadays. Probably none. You know, the interesting thing about it, even though they went away from the hillbillies, you know, Mountain Dew really exploded. Um, I think you mentioned um, to me before the call started that you, that you heard it was the largest brand in the entire world. So it really exploded. But they always kept this like connection to like the outdoors and yes and you know they sponsored all the extreme sports and they got that young edgy thing but you're you're right you know if you think about that they started out with the uh hillbillies getting away from the revenues and that was kind of an outlaw deal and still is and that's still kind of the edgy appeal yeah that's the the one thing about it so I haven't had a Mountain Dew in many years, but I don't think it tastes like it did. I remember all of those years where they'd have the the interesting little jingles, and I remember those throughout the time. I remember from the '80s and the '90s, you know, and now, as you mentioned, it's more, you know, they they tie it into the extreme sports, and now they have Mountain Dew with the um, extra caffeine, as if Mountain Dew needs extra caffeine. Yes, sugar, caffeine. Uh, but yeah, it's you know it's amazing the marketing that goes into this. I, you know, I don't know what a Mountain Dew costs, but probably about ninety percent of it is uh, the marketing. Give me some fun in the blazing sun. Do it. Give me a friend or two. Do it. And when my thirst is at its worst, do it. Do it. Give me a Mountain Dew. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. A friend of mine who owns the fast food restaurants told me one time that when you go through the uh, drive-through and order a uh, like a medium drink, he's got more in the cup than he does in the actual drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah I could definitely see that. A penny or something. Yeah, they, they, uh, and he, and he also told me incidentally that uh, he uh, served Pepsi products in his restaurant. And he owned a, uh, a number of restaurants, and he got invited down to Atlanta and really wined and dined by uh, the Coke folks. And he said, I can't switch because I'm from Quincy, and uh, they just come through the drive through That's what they want. And I give some of the credit to that for the Becky family, who have been so supportive of youth activities in our community that, you know, most kids start off at the YMCA playing baseball or basketball, the Pepsi shirt or Mountain Dew. Yeah, no doubt. The uh, arena at John Wood College is Mountain Dew uh, Arena, I believe. Yeah, at Pepsi at QU, and and that's, that's a tribute to generosity. The Becky family and refreshment services, Pepsi locally, has never turned us down for anything that's good for kids. You know, that's one of the things that I found difficult because I've traveled around being in the Army and I was just in Saudi Arabia. Trying to find Pepsi products is not always easy, Um, you know, especially if you're down south or overseas. Coke is more predominant. And that's one of the things I'm I missed pretty. (laughs) I missed that, you know, when I was gone. Oh, yeah, I have been. Like I said, I had uh, I used to be really bad. Just pounding Mountain Dews, um, but I'm uh, I'm not a young man anymore, and 
you know, the waistline doesn't, uh, all that sugar doesn't help out. So, <laughs> well, you are not alone. Uh, <laughs> our mayor, Kyle Moore, is a big Mountain Dew guy. Just about every time I've been to lunch with Kyle, he's had a Mountain Dew. And of course, I have to subject him to my story then. <laughs> Does he act like that's the first time you've told it to him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's pretty polite about it. You know, and my sons would be like, Dad, we've heard this story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your uncle invented Mountain Dew. We know, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. They don't remember Uncle Ollie. They do remember uh, my cousin Bernard Davis. So they know the whole story, that's for sure. So your family has been subjected to this story several times, but I think it's pretty cool. And thank you once again, Chuck, for that unexpected connection to Quincy. The founder of Mountain Dew, growing up in Quincy, staying at the same hotel that Lincoln stayed at when he was here in town for the Lincoln-Douglas debates in October 1858. That's a pretty cool connection. Remember to subscribe to the History of Go-Go podcast and leave a review. Like our Facebook page and leave a comment. There are many more Tales of the Gym City coming soon. Thank you for all your support. Join us again next time when we talk, think, and drink on History of Go-Go. Time to go.